Welcome to the Anchor Church Podcast. We are so glad you're here. For more content and upcoming events, visit anchorchurchcsra.com. All right, friends, open your Bibles with me. Turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5. We're going to continue through the Sermon on the Mount series. We're talking about what it looks like to be kingdom people, to live in God's kingdom. And as you're turning to the first book of the New Testament, Matthew chapter 5, I want to quote John Stott. He's a pastor over across the pond in England, and he said these words. Let's just put it on the screen. It's the first slide we have up here today. Here's what John Stott said. The greatest hindrance to the advance of the gospel worldwide. You want to know what it is? It's the failure of the lives of God's people. Ouch, right? The sobering words this morning are sometimes, sometimes a bitter pill to swallow. We sometimes think the greatest hindrance to the gospel, you know, we blame everything on the devil. It's the devil, and it is the devil. He works against us. We, we have an enemy that wants to stop the spread of the gospel. But what the outflow of that looks like is that actually what it looks like is when our lives do not live out the mission that God has called us to, when it really is mission impossible and we do not believe in the God where anything is possible, the failure of our lives are sometimes the greatest hindrance of the gospel in the world. And there's a few disconnects, and I just want to list them out for you. The first disconnect is this. Sometimes we have no purpose in our life, or the way that we'll put it on the screens here is that, is that we lack this identity. We really don't understand who we are. We have not embraced who we are in Christ. God created you on purpose for a purpose. And our culture today tries to tell us that you get to decide who you are. You, you get to decide who you are and you even have to discover that and the answer is inside of you already. But really the answer is only found in God because he is our creator. We're created in his image, right? Those of you doing the foundation study, Genesis 1:27. He created us in his image, male and female. He created them. And so we don't know who we are. The other, the other problem sometimes is that we've lost sight of who we are. We've lost sight. Maybe, maybe you know who you are in Christ, but you've just lost sight of it. Maybe you're here this morning and you would just say, I know exactly what I should be doing, but I just, man, I just, I just got distracted. I need to refocus my attention. Or maybe, here's one of the most sobering possible realities, and if it's you this morning, we're not here to beat you up. We're just here to call it out. Just call it what it is. Sometimes we just need to be honest. Sometimes it's we're not, we're not actually willing to act on who we claim to be or our life is not consistent with whom we claim to be, right? And can we put those up there, Asher, just, just so we can, uh, I actually have all, all, all three of these up here this morning. Sometimes we don't know who we are. Sometimes we've lost sight of who we are. But then other times we're just not consistent with who we claim to be. Or we're not, not even willing to act upon that. Yeah, I know what Jesus is asking me to do, but that's just not me. And if that's you this morning, if you'd be that honest to say that, my response to you in love and in Christ would be, maybe Jesus wants to help you change in that way. Because 
Jesus actually calls us not, not to be who we already are. He calls us first. He says, if anyone would come after me, you must deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow me. So denial of self is fundamental to following Jesus. That means that he wants to change things about your life. So we were redeemed and saved in Christ. He died on a cross and rose again so that. What's, what's the so that? What's the why? So that we would be on mission for a missional purpose. And today we're talking about being salt and being light in this world. And so if you want a title for the top and your Bible probably has that heading there already, just write down, be salt and light to the world around. And if you've been around the church for any number of days, you probably have heard something about being salt and light. Or maybe you're brand new to this. Maybe, maybe this is a brand new concept. Awesome. Let's, let's dive into it together. And last week, you know, we talked about these Beatitudes. We talked about eight things that Jesus said that blessed people are. He talked about our identity. He painted the picture for those living in God's kingdom and those living for God's kingdom. How are they? Blessed are those who are poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who are humble. Blessed are those who are pure in heart. Blessed are those who, who, you know, who, whose lives are just oriented around God's glory. And he painted this picture for us. Well, this flows right out of that. And there's just a couple of encouragements this morning. We're just going to keep it simple. Just two main encouragements Jesus has. And we have already said them, but we're going to break them down one by one. The first one is this, to be salt to a world in decay. Write that down this morning if you're taking notes. Jesus is calling us to be salt to a world in decay. And in one powerful dynamite verse, we're going to see this reality. So let's look at verse 13 together in your Bibles. Matthew 5, 13. And Jesus says these words. We're just going to focus on the first part, but let's read all the verse and then we'll break it down. Jesus says in verse 13, You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt shall lose its taste, how can it be made salty? It's no longer good for anything but to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. So how does Jesus start this out? Well, first of all, there's about 11 different things we could say about salt this morning that flow out of a biblical perspective. We're not going to go through all 11, don't don't worry, but some some of them just listing them real quick and you may have heard of some of these before. You know, salt has many purposes. One, salt purifies. Salt is a purifying agent. You know, you know this. Uh, you know, it's, better, it's better to swim in a saltwater uh, pool than a chlorine pool, right? That salt water is good for your skin. There's some, there's some good stuff there. Salt preserves. It, it, it was used in, in ancient cultures to preserve meat and other things. Salt heals. It's a healing agent. Salt creates thirst. This is powerful when we think about living for Christ in our community. That actually salt creates that thirst. So living as salt in this world actually invites people in to Jesus. And then, but this is, the, this is the one that I want us to lead into the main focus this morning. Salt is valuable. It really is. It's valuable. Now it hasn't risen to the price of eggs yet at the grocery store. It's not, it's not quite that valuable. But, but, but people in the ancient cultures, they actually sold salt there's actually um, historical evidence that we have of salt being sold to Roman soldiers for a high price. Salt was extremely valuable. It, w- it would have been very expensive in this culture. We buy it for a couple bucks at the grocery store today. It's, it's, uh, it's, pretty, it's pretty easy to obtain for us. But salt is valuable. Now, why am I telling you that? Well, you're valuable. You are. What's one of the first things you see when you enter into Anchor Church every single week on the A-frame sign out there on that central walkway? 
you matter to God. You matter to us. You are valuable. Now, I know not everyone in here, we don't, we don't always feel valuable, right? Maybe even if you're honest this morning, you've had some moments, and maybe you still battle through this, where you feel worthless, or you feel like you're not really that important. You are valuable. You matter to God. You matter to us. Salt is valuable. If we're living out of salt, Jesus says, you are, what does he say in verse 13? Let's break down this first part. You are the salt of the earth. Did Jesus say, you're the salt of the earth if so-and-so? No. Did he say you might be the salt of the No. He says, you are the salt of the earth. So what does Jesus do? The first thing, he establishes our identity. He doesn't give us a work assignment. The first thing he does, he starts with our identity. And that's where we get things flipped around in the church sometimes. Sometimes we jump right into the doing and we're not sure who we are yet. The doing flows out of who we are. The doing flows out of the fact, if you are in Christ, then do these things. And that's the, that's the relationship between works and salvation. Works do not earn heaven for you. You don't do the good things to impress God so that he'll let you in. No, it's you trust God in his kindness and mercy. He forgives you of your sin. He, he causes you to be born again. He gives you a new heart. And then we do the good stuff. But then... This key word, the salt. Did you know Jesus says, you are the salt? Not a salt, but you are the salt. Not one of many. We are God's plan A for bringing the powerful and flavorful message of the gospel, the true gospel, to this earth. So Jesus points to the, the singularity, the, the, the single source of truth in this world. And it is God's word. It is the gospel. And that's why he calls us to be. He says, you are salt of what? The earth. So the scope of our ministry is just Columbia County? No. Just Augusta? No. Just the CSRA? No. It's the entire earth. We're called to go far and wide. And even though our young, small church is just starting small, we have every intention at impacting our entire world for Christ. And there are some of you that will travel across seas one day to serve other countries, like to literally go and serve, whether it be short term or long term or different things. We want to be involved in planting churches in other countries, either by sending uh, resources or by literally sending people maybe one day to plant an international church. I mean, these are things that are only possible with God. Now, have you ever put salt in the wrong place? The salt belong in the eyes. No, it hurts pretty bad, right? Have you ever gotten salt in your eye? You'll, you'll pick up on it pretty quick. You put salt in the wrong place and you've got a world of trouble. You know, approach matters. Approach matters. There, there are some Christians that here go out into the, you are the salt of the earth. Oh, great, cool. And so we're gonna go spread Jesus, but, but Jesus did not call us to be salty. He called us to be salt, some people uh, assume that, that that means we're just supposed to be bombastic. And, you know, I'm just going to be really honest. No one's been called to be a jerk for Jesus. Sometimes the truth is required. Sometimes if you share the truth, someone will think you're being a jerk. Persecution is part of the package. But we're not called. The gospel is offensive in and of itself. We don't have to try. We offer it up in love and in kindness. Some people will still find it offensive, but actually... 
most of the time, I find when I offer up the gospel, when I'm, when I, those moments that I do share God's word with people, it's actually refreshing. Remember what we said about salt a minute ago? It's a healing agent. It's, it creates thirst. Like God uses that, that flavorfulness, that seasoning that we're called to be. There are other scripture verses, many, many that say, hey, hey, season your language and your behavior with salt. It, this, is, this is speaking of the truth. This is speaking of being, um, you know, there's this uh, SAT word that I remember from high school, you know, pungent. It means that you're like affecting things, that, that there's a difference, that, that there's a distinction between you and someone else who's not living for Jesus. But there's a problem. Let's go back to verse 13. But if the salt should lose its taste, how can it be made salty? Now, I've got this pot here this morning because we're going to make some soup together, okay? All right, so, so let's, just do a little, let's just do a little collaboration here. What kind of things should we put in the soup? Come on, let's go. We're going to do imaginary soup, so I'm not, I don't literally have ingredients. Vegetables, all right, come on, we've got to be a little more specific. All right, let's go. Let's, uh, carrots, carrots, first. chop, 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 chop. We're going to put some carrots in. What else? What else? What? Potatoes. Got potatoes. Broccoli? Oh, broth. Yeah, absolutely. Broth, good. Okay, what else? Cucumbers, all right, a little weird, but we're going in here. All right, here we go. All right, this is a, this is a really good soup. All right, what else, what else we got? Pasta, mm, good pasta. All right, let's just assume we got some pasta here. What else? Pizza, no, no we're leaving that out. All right, <laughs> all right, so we got some good, we got at least a good start here, right? One thing I can tell you we're gonna need if we're making some soup we're going to need some salt. Anybody ever had soup that had no salt in it? Anybody? Yes. It's that person that makes soup for the uh, function, you know, and bring, brings the soup and, and you're trying all the different soups. You know, you got like seven soups, but then you get to that one soup, that one soup and you take a big old bite and it's just like, yeah, it's just not a whole lot happening. It's like, man, there, there's something in my mouth right now. It's soup, but there's no flavor. And the four pillars of cooking, those of you cooks out there, you know it, salt, fat, acid, heat. Those are the four pillars that the experts say are required in cooking, but you got to have some salt. I'm going to make a brisket this week, and the first thing I'm going to do to that brisket is I'm going to put kosher salt on it. I'm going to take this salt and I'm going to sprinkle it across that brisket. I'm going to, I'm going to go right, right across it. And you know why? Because what does salt do to that meat? It tenderizes it. And it's, it's really cool. You sprinkle it across and you wait about 20 minutes, 30 minutes. And is the salt there anymore? No, it penetrates. The meat actually goes down into it. Try this the next time you do steaks. Don't salt it right when you put it on the grill, but salt it ahead of time and let it get down in the meat because it will actually penetrate and tenderize that meat and it will give it so much more flavor. Why do I share this with you? Because Jesus was intentional about telling us to be that flavor. But how can, so let's assume we have a well-salted soup here. Things are good. We're being salt. We can even hear it. We can hear it. We've got plenty of salt in there, okay? The flavor is amazing. How can the salt lose its saltiness? Who knows a way that it loses? It, it, did you know that sodium chloride is actually one of the most stable compounds that we have? It's actually, it's actually really hard for this to not be salt. Other spices, cinnamon, nutmeg, 
thyme, rosemary, you know, other herbs and spices, they will fade over time. The longer they, they are there, they expire. They have a shelf life. Salt, not so much. Salt lasts. It preserves. But what causes something to lose its saltiness? A diluted discipleship. A watered-down gospel. And so what is Jesus? Jesus says, be careful. Be careful because, because there are going to be things in your life. Work stress. Pressure from the, our culture. Other competing religions. False truths. The work of the devil. Stress. More stress. <laughs> right? Challenges. Trials. Persecution. Suffering. Add it all in there. What happens to the, the salty soup that we just had? It tasted so good, it's watered down now. It's lost its saltiness. Jesus says, if the, if the salt should lose its taste, how can it be made salty? It's no longer good for anything. So what's the challenge this morning as it relates to salt? Friends, let's, let's, let's make a commitment this morning. If you're a follower of Jesus, make a commitment to not be a deluded disciple. We need to make an effort to not allow our lives to be watered down, to, for us to lose our flavor. Because if not, we're not going to have that same kingdom impact. We're not going to be able to impact our world for Christ. And if you've allowed yourself to become deluded, guess what? The great thing about God's word, it describes a new mercy morning. Book of Lamentations says that his mercies are new every morning, that there's a fresh start. There's always an opportunity for a fresh start. So today can be a fresh start. But Jesus tells us, man, if we're not full of that flavor, if we lack the salt, if we're not going to be salt, then we're not going to have an impact for Jesus. Our works are going to be in vain. Our words are going to be in vain. It's all going to be for nothing. So what's our other encouragement from Jesus this morning? Well, it's to be a light to the world in darkness. And there's one thing about this room that makes it feel the way it feels. If we had zero light in this room, it would feel very different, right? It would obviously be very dark. But every light, I mean, we, we even talked about it this morning. Dwayne, Dwayne and I were even talking as you know, we were the first people in this room and we were thinking about, like, which lights should we have on today? It's a really dark, overcast day. We don't want it to be too dark. We don't want it to be too bright. Like, we think intentionally about light in a room because the too, too much light in a room can make a room feel really cold, too little light in a room can make you want to go to sleep, right? And so we're trying to balance that out. These lamps bring a warmth to the stage. I mean, light is so powerful. And our role as Christians is to be this light in the world. And Jesus starts out in this, let's just, let's just read this section together. Jesus says, like the salt, you are the light of the world. A city on a hill, a city situated on a hill cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket, but rather on a what? On a, on a lampstand. And it gives light for all who are in the house. And in the same way, let your light shine before others so they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Now, Jesus doesn't just pull this out of left field. He takes it from Isaiah 49.6. Can we put that verse up there? Isaiah 49.6. I, I have it for you guys. Up here, Isaiah 49, 6 speaks of the Messiah. 
speaks of Jesus before he came. And this, this is what Isaiah 49.6, it's just the last part of Isaiah 49.6. This is talking about Jesus hundreds of years before he even came. Here's what the prophecy says. I will also make for you a light for the nations to be my salvation to the ends of the earth. Jesus himself reveals himself to be the light of the world. And what does Jesus say here? You are the light of the world. So when you follow Jesus, when you become a Christian, you are brought together with Christ in, in a relationship, but also you, we, we are with Jesus, the light of the world. So it's not just Jesus. Jesus is the light of the world and we hold the light. We say that sometimes. We, we, gotta, we gotta shine our light. We gotta be lamp. You know, we're gonna hold a lamp and bring it out into the world. We think of that picture, but really a more accurate picture is we are with Christ in that way where we are joining him as the light of the world. So when Jesus says this, they're thinking about this verse right here. I will also make a light for the nations. Again, to be my salvation to where? To the ends of the whole earth, not just the Jewish people. Yeah, it started with them. It started with that, with that family that needed God's grace every single day. We're learning in Genesis, right? But God carried that family through so that the church could be planted, so the church could be started. And now the family of faith all across the world, we're supposed to go to the ends of the earth and be the light. So we share that title with Christ. And notice again, the scope is not just for our family. Yes, it gives light to all those who are in the house. It starts with our family. We better be the light of the world to our, to our children, to our grandchildren, to our cousins, aunts, uncles, and everybody else. We, we, we ought to be impactful to our family, but then outside of our family, to the ends of the earth. What does Jesus say about the city? So he calls us, he says, you are the light of the world, but then he says, a city situated on a hill, cannot be hidden. Jesus says simply, there are no invisible Christians. There are no Christians in the closet. There are no Christians hiding out. There are no CIA Christians. And I've served with people before out on the mission field. Even I talked to some people, especially some uh, planters uh, in Atlanta that were starting churches. And they would tell me, man, when I talk to people in my community, I don't tell them what I do. And I'm like, what do you mean you don't tell them what you do? They're like, well, if I tell them what I do, if I tell them that, you know, that I'm a pastor and a church planner, then I won't have an opportunity to, you know, connect with them. They're just going to shut me out. And I thought it was always very interesting whenever I'd hear that, I'd hear that from several guys, but I, but I found the complete opposite to be true. That when I shared what I do, and I still do this when I play music out in the community in places where uh, the, the name of Jesus is really only used when someone's uh, you know, yelling at the uh, TV because their football team's losing and they're taking his name in vain. Um, usually when I'm in those situations and I tell people uh, what, I, what I do for a living, they don't shut me out. They, act, they actually lean into it a little more. And it's not glorifying myself. It's just, it's just a chance to introduce him into the conversation. And so what I want to encourage us with this morning, don't be ashamed and do not be scared to go and be the light of the world. Jesus says we cannot be hidden. He says that if you're going to live for him, that it's going to show up in what you say and do. Now think about this for a second. This isn't even in my notes. This is just something that we need to consider this morning. It just kind of popped in my head. Why, why don't people come to church? Like, what are, like what's the number one reason why they say they don't want to come to church? 
Think about it for a second. What's the number one reason you've heard? Hypocrites. You're not living it out. You say one thing, but you don't do it. It drives all of us crazy, right? It drives, it drives me crazy to see someone say that something's important to them, but then live the complete opposite. It, we're almost hardwired for that to drive us crazy. It's almost like there's a design there to where we would avoid that. But yeah, it's the hypocrite thing, right? So if we did what Jesus said to do, if we just made it obvious, if we wore our faith on our sleeve, not in an obnoxious way, not, not, not in some kind of jerk face way, but just in a real way, and just say like, this is who I am. This is who God is. He invites you into that. He made you in his image, and we extend that grace and love and message to people. As if we were more forthright in our faith, I think we'd be really surprised at the results. I don't know why we'd be surprised, because the word testifies that, that there's a harvest, and it's ripe, and that if we go out and be salt and light in this world, that people will give their life to Christ, but sometimes we just don't believe it. We lack that faith, just like Sarah and Abraham did, Right? We're going through the foundation study and Sarah laughed at God's plan. Sometimes we do the same thing. It's real, I mean, I'm real quick to jump on Sarah, you know, for that. But, but then I go, man I've, man, I've done that before. Man, I still, I still go through that when I think about what God could do. And I think about some of the possibilities and I kind of chuckle at it a little bit. And it's like, well, why, why wouldn't God do that? He cares, he cares about the world way more than I do. I mean, I'm trying to care more about the world like God does. But if anybody wants people to get saved, it's the Lord. If anybody wants the church to grow and advance and his kingdom to advance, it's the Lord. And so what does it remind us? Jesus says, no one lights a lamp, verse 15, and puts it under a basket, but rather on a lampstand. And it gives light for all. For who? For all. That means the people that drive you crazy. That means the people that frustrate you. That means that God's put you next to people that you don't jive with. And our goal shouldn't be to separate ourselves from them, but it should be to give that light to them. So that, and here we go into verse 16, ready? Let your light shine before others so that, Jesus gives us the so that, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. So how do we shine this light? You guys know how glow-in-the-dark toys work? I got glow-in-the-dark toys in my house. I got three boys. I got lots of glow-in-the-dark toys. A glow-in-the-dark toy works because there's there there are these little phosphors inside, and what happens is that this glow-in-the-dark toy it, it doesn't shine just on it doesn't pop out. Yes, some are battery operated, and there are those. But that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about like true glow-in-the-dark toys. They come to you, and they're just this like pale kind of green. They don't really glow in the dark yet. What do you what do you have to do first? It has to charge. It has to spend time in a light greater than itself and a power outside of itself it has to spend time soaking up that energy outside of itself and then it can shine the light. And what do we do as Christians sometimes? I'm trying to shine the light, but it just ain't working. I tried to do X, Y, and Z. It's just not panning out the way I thought it would. Are we spending time soaking it up? Are we spending time charging with an energy greater than ourselves, Guys, this is why we're doing our foundation studies this year. My heart and desires for every person that calls Anchor Church home 
And even beyond, we got some people not even, that don't even go to our church that have received these foundations books and that are having a quiet time and a devotion for the first time in their life. Guys, this is why we spend time in the words so that we can soak up the light and so we can send out the light. But friends, we got to spend that soak time so that we can shine. We got to absorb before we can radiate Jesus' light into all the world. And so let's soak before we shine. Let's radiate the light of God around us. And Jesus is super clear. Again, it's for these good works. What does Satan do? What does the devil do? He perverts the good works into things we do so that God will love us. No, 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 no. Because God loves you, because he saved you, because because you're following Jesus, now go and do these good works so that people may do one of two things. And what does Jesus say is the goal? It's so that people will give glory to God who is in heaven, to our Father who's in heaven. So there's a couple of results to shine in this light. We're going to put them on the screen for you now. The first one is reflection. First one is reflection. It's to point to God so that he'll get the glory. What's going to happen is when you go out and you shine this light and you reflect the light of Jesus, people are going to assume you're just being nice. People are just going to assume that you're just being a nice guy. You're just being a nice lady. That you're, that you're just, it's the gospel of nicism. It's, it's, it's the culture we live in. Just be nice. But that's, that falls so short of what Jesus taught. It's not just nice. It's that these good works would demonstrate to a decaying world who God is. Friends, let's embrace that this morning. Again, I know it's something that I say uh, pretty often, but there's a reason for it because all of us are so forgetful about this. You are the most accurate picture of God that somebody may ever see right around you. As a Christian, you are showing people what God is like through what you say, through what you do, how, how you react to things, how you don't react to certain things. You are the best picture of God that someone may ever see or the, maybe the only picture Maybe they're not around Christians and then all of a sudden they bump into you and you have an opportunity to teach them what Jesus is like, what God is like. And so we have these two results, the good works so that we may reflect the glory, but then also repentance. Because Jesus, again, promises that the field is ripe for harvest. He said that. He said the fields are ripe. That means that if we go out and do that, like, here's the thing about God. He's never going to ask us to do something that if we go out and do it, it's not going to produce a good result. I think about this with my own kids. I'm never going to ask my children to do something and set them up for failure. Does that make sense, parents in the room? Like you're not going to give your kids instructions, but then it's going to be impossible for them to do it because that would be cruel. No, you're going to ask them to do the things that are right, and then you're going to set them up for success and help them. And that's Guys, if we're like that with our own kids, Jesus said these words. He's like, if you, know how to good give, if you know how to give good gifts to your children, don't you think that God knows how to give good gifts to us? And so in the same way, if we would parent that way, if we would set kids up for success in that way, whether it's in the classroom or whether it's in uh, parenting, don't you think that God would do the same thing? He's going to set you up for success. He wants you to do everything that we're talking. He wants you to go be salt and light. That's why Jesus said these words. So he's not going to leave you hanging. If you go and apply these words this week, if you go and get out of your comfort zone to be salt and light and, and, and really crank that up this week, like 
God's not going to leave you hanging. He's going to give you the power to do it. Remember, power outside of ourself. But he's also going to show you the results of that. And those results are not always immediate, friends. We live in a want-it-now generation, immediate gratification. Sometimes it takes weeks and months to see the result. Sometimes some of the, some of the things we do, we go out and live the light of Christ. We're salt and light in our world. We may never see the results of some of it. But we trust that God has a plan that we can't fully understand, but we're faithful. We're faithful to live out what Jesus said. Let me ask yourself, let me ask you a question and think about your own journey. How did you come to faith, Christian, in the room? Was it a street preacher who didn't even know your name, just shouting out, repent, turn, turn or burn? Was that how you came to faith? Or was it someone that you knew where at some point you saw someone live out the faith of Jesus before, maybe even before you believed and then you came to faith? We know the answer. It's that we knew someone who was a Christian, whether it was you started attending church or whether you were, you were in a small group or some other way, you knew someone who was already living this out and they, and they had an impact on you at some point. That's most likely how you came to faith. And so we think about that, and that is the same possibility, friend, for you this morning. Hear me, you could be that for someone else. Jesus doesn't just save us so that we get into heaven. Yes, that's awesome, and that's great, and that's like his mission is to reconcile us back to himself. We're reconciled to God in in a relationship through Jesus, but it's so that we can help others do the same. There's a mission and a purpose to it. And so, I want to close with a verse from 1 Peter this morning, as we wrap up. And this verse, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. I'm just going to put it up here. And the beginning's filled with a lot of Old Testament references. We're not going to get into all that this morning. We're really going to focus on the second half. But Peter writes, and he's writing to the church, okay? So if you're a follower of Jesus in the room, this is for you. Ready? You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his possession. What is all that saying? Hey, you're part of the kingdom. Race, he's not talking about white, black, Latino, Asian. He's saying that that you were born again. If you're in Jesus, you were born again. And you're part of that chosen race in Christ that he chose you in Christ to be in his kingdom. A royal priesthood. That means we don't need a priest anymore to mediate between us and God. We have one high priest who is Jesus. But now we are made priests that we help other people join to Jesus. A holy nation, again, this family, first promise to Abraham, fulfilled in Christ, and then a people for his possession. You are his. You're a child of the one true king, part of the family of God. So all of that is true, part of his kingdom. What's the so that? What's the why? So that you may proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. So here's the invitation this morning. It's two parts. First one is, God's calling you out this morning, out of the darkness and into his light. And if you've already made that decision in the room, then great, you, you know exactly what you should be doing right now. Right? But if you have not made that decision to be called out of the darkness and into the light, it's as simple as just saying yes to Jesus this morning. Yes, Jesus, I, w- I want to follow you. 
I want to become a Christian. What does that mean? It means a couple of things. It means we turn from our sin. We say, I was, I was just doing what I wanted to do and headed more towards sin and what God doesn't want, but I'm going to turn from that and I'm going to set my heart upon the things of God. So I'm going to repent. I'm going to do a U-turn and head the other way towards Jesus. It means believing that Jesus died on the cross for you, that he took your punishment that you deserve for your sin. Jesus took that punishment for you and he forgives you. He forgives you. He, he makes you right in relationship with God so that you can have a right relationship with your heavenly father through Jesus Christ. He rose again from the grave to show that he really is who he said he is and that you can have victory over sin. So we believe those things happened, that he really did die on the cross. He really did rise again from the grave for you. And then you confess him as Lord and Savior. You just tell him this morning, just in prayer. You can pray right now and you bow your, bow your head. In fact, will everyone just bow their heads with me this morning and pray? And I'm just asking you, I'm just, if you've never made this decision, would you consider following Jesus today? Would you consider if God is calling out to you today and saying, hey, turn from your sin and trust in Jesus? And if that's you today, you can just pray to him right now. Say, Lord, I know I'm a sinner, but I believe in Jesus Christ, that he died on the cross for me and my sins. And right now, Jesus, I give my life to you. You can pray a prayer just like that. Just pray it in your own words. Just be honest with him. Just be real with him, because he can hear you, even if you pray inside your head. And he'll save you today. The Bible says, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. So you can turn from your sin and trust in Jesus this morning. The other part of the invitation this morning is for some of us in the room who know that God's calling you to proclaim his excellencies. He's calling you to open your mouth. And for a long time, friend, you have been scared to open your mouth for Jesus. I get scared every time that I witness to someone. But you can begin to battle that fear. You can begin that journey of being equipped. That's why we have an event coming up soon on February 5th called Proclaim. You can sign up for it on Church Center right now. And it, the heart behind Proclaim, it's a once-a-month evangelism training to teach you how to share your faith, teach you more about the gospel so you can communicate it to someone. It's not rocket science, friends. We're just inviting people to see that God is good, that he's created them for a purpose, that everyone would turn from their sin, place their faith in Jesus, and live out the mission that he's created us to live, to bring people back to God. And this morning, we're just gonna create an altar in this room. This whole room is an altar for us just to sing out to the Lord, to sing out to the Lord that we need him and that we depend on him. And Jesus invites you this morning to come to the altar Receive rest for your soul. Receive life and light and strength and energy to go out and be salt and light in this world. So let's stand together. Lord, we pray before we worship God, we just ask for your strength. We ask for you to speak to our hearts. We ask for you to help us respond this morning, Lord. Whatever our response is, whether we need to give our life and heart to you or whether we need to pray that you will help us have the courage and boldness to speak your truth to a world that desperately needs it, to people around us that you've put us around, you've positioned us right next to them so that they would know you for who you are, the one true God. 
the God who saves, the God who changes lives, the God who gives us a purpose, the God who gives us true peace. It's all this in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's respond to him. Thanks for listening. For more information, visit anchorchurchcsra.com or follow us on social media at anchorchurchcsra.com.